0: This is KJZZ News, your listener-supported public radio station. I'm Tiara Vianne, and here are this week's stories you don't want to miss. Thanks so much for listening. For the week of March 6, 2023, here are some top stories. Governor Katie Hobbs has vetoed a bill that would have banned Arizona's public schools from talking about race in certain ways. As Bridget Dowd reports, Hobbs called it a fake political issue.
1: The bill's sponsor, Republican Senator J.D. Mesnard, claims some students are being taught that America as a whole is a racist country. Public school advocates insist critical race theory is only taught at a university level and not in the state's K 12 schools. Republicans like Superintendent Tom Horn claim it's reaching classrooms even if it's called something else. In her veto letter, Hobbs wrote It is time to stop utilizing students and teachers in culture wars based on fear mongering and unfounded accusations. This is the governor's 16th veto since the session began in January. Bridget Dowd, KJZZ News,
0: Phoenix. Now from KJZZ Original Productions. Despite hazy skies this week, air quality is still okay. For now, here's the show co-host, Lauren Gilger.
2: Well, spring has sprung here in Arizona and rather quickly at that. Just a week after parts of the state saw up to two feet of snowfall, temperatures are quickly rising, with the weekend set to creep into the 80s for the first time this year. Warm temperatures also mean Valley residents will be thinking about air quality when they venture outside, or maybe they should. Joining me with a preview of what our air quality might look like in the coming weeks is Matt Pace, meteorologist at the Arizona Department of Environmental Quality. Good morning, Matt.
3: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
2: Thanks for coming on. So, I want to start with the current air quality outside because especially this week as it started to warm up, it it looks pretty bad as we look at the skyline out there. Is it is it bad?
3: Yeah. So what happens during this time of year is in between these storm systems, we have very stagnant conditions, which means light winds, and that allows PM10, which is dust, and PM2.5, which is smoke, to build up in the valley, and that's when you see that brown cloud sitting out there. But mm-hmm. v- values have not been exceeding the federal health standard; they've actually been good to moderate. So that's at least good news. But as we head through the next couple months, that's when we're going to start to see ozone creep up, and of course, ozone's invisible, so you're not going to see that. So it's really important to pay attention to that air quality forecast.
2: Right, right. And that comes in, you know, my weather app on my phone, right? We want to watch for that. Why? Like, why is this important for people to pay attention to?
3: Yeah, that's a really good question. And during the winter months, it is that dust, the smoke that you can see. But as we stretch into summer, uh, it's ozone. And again, you can't see it. And why it's important is you can really do your part to reduce ozone as well. So what ozone needs is a lot of sunlight here in the valley. It's called the valley of the sun very few clouds, a lot of sun, and that combines with VOCs and NOx, things that come out of your tailpipe, things that like paint smells, chemical cleaners, and it combines together to form that ozone. So on those days when we're forecasting high ozone, you can do your part by reducing the amount of emissions that you produce to hope bring those numbers down. But there's a lot of natural things that occur as well. Wildfires can occur mm-hmm. um, that produce ozone. We can also look at the green up with all this rain that we've had, a big green up, meaning all those weeds you see out there, even the wildflowers, they can produce VOCs that can result in elevated levels of ozone. So Mm. ozone is extremely complex pattern.
2: That's really interesting. So it sounds like as the temperatures get hotter, we need to think about air quality a little bit more. Um, Are we expecting it to get particularly bad this year or this spring?
3: So that's a really good question. Some of the things we look at is like the the green up, how much rain we had. So we could potentially maybe see a little bit early start to the ozone season. But the good news is we actually had our first moderate ozone day yesterday, which obviously is not the greatest news, Mm. but it's way behind when we normally see it on February 19th. So we're holding it off a little bit. But if we do start to dry out, especially when we look at our wildfire season, if it gets active down in the southeast corner of the state, some of that smoke could move in, increase your amount of ozone precursors and increase ozone. And then also the monsoon itself. When mm. we have a very big snowpack like we're seeing right now, typically the monsoon can be a little bit delayed. So that'll mean potentially a hotter start to the summer, a lot more high pressure, a lot calmer winds that could result in more elevated levels of ozone as we head into May and June. So a lot of complex features to think about.
2: Hmm. So you mentioned the, the snowpack, right? Like we got all of the snow like literally a week ago and now it's up to 80 degrees. It just changed really fast. Are we going get- to too much snow melting too fast what do we do with all this water
3: And certainly when you have a lot of the snow, it's going to melt as we head into the summer months. Now, it does a lot of good things for our reservoirs. Of course, as that snow melts, it begins to fill up the reservoirs. In fact, uh, right now, the SRP reservoirs on the Salt de Verde are 87% full. Last year at the same time, they were 72% full with Roosevelt Lake at 86% full. So we're doing really well when it comes to that. But of course, there's things to watch out for. If you're driving around or hiking in the high country, just watch out for streams. They're probably going to be running uh, more than they normally normally do because of all the snow melt, And then just like we saw this past week, uh, they can release water from Granite Reef Dam as those lakes fill up. And that's when you could see those low water crossings along the Salt River here in the valley begin to fill up and flow. So uh, it's a good thing. But of course, just be cautious as well as you're traveling around Arizona watching for those streams.
2: Okay, so I want to ask you lastly, Matt, about, you know, kind of what you do there, like forecasting, right? Like we expected from forecasters a really dry winter because of, you know, La Nina and and I guess patterns that are predicted but we got a really wet one. Things did not turn out to match the forecast. Can we forecast what's happening in this spring and summer, what to expect?
3: That's always a big question. And of course, it's going to be dry in May and June, and then we're going to get some storms. But you can look at the patterns. In El Nino, La Nina, uh, a lot of people just look at that, you know, and you think, oh, it's El Nino, it's going to be wet, it's La Nina, it's going to be dry. But there's a lot more that happens. There's a lot more of what we call teleconnections that happen, like the Pacific Decadal Oscillation, the NAO, a lot of different things come into play. But the big thing to look at, I think, here. Coming into summer is that snowpack. Last year, we didn't see any snowpack. We saw the monsoon set up really, really quickly. We had a very wet monsoon. So it's all going to depend, I think, personally, on that snowpack. But, you know, there's still going to be those places that they're going to see that inch of rain, and your neighbor's probably going to see absolutely none when we talk about monsoon. So, an exciting pattern coming up.
2: So we can't answer the question necessarily of of, of what's going to happen in the rain version. But what about the heat? Because this is what we all started dreading probably a couple months ago, if you're like me in Phoenix.
3: <laughs> yeah. And of course, this is the first 80 degree day coming up, which a uh, good news there as well, that we're actually uh, looking at that being well past the average. The really? average first okay. 80 degree day is February 3rd. Huh. So enjoy this time. but. It is going to get hot, no doubt about it. We average a number of 100 degree, 110 degree days, and the average for that's May 2nd. So we still have a little bit of time to wait. So enjoy the 80s while they last because (laughs) we know for sure 100% it's going to get hot. We'll say that right now.
2: It's going to get hot 100%. All right, we'll leave it at that. That is Matt Pace, meteorologist for the Arizona Department of Environmental Quality, joining us. Matt, thank you so much as always for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you.
0: And this is the Stories You Don't Want to Miss podcast. Thanks for listening. In Fronteras news, have you ever tried mesquite sap ice cream? At one Hermosillo ice cream shop, now you can. On a mission to make regional flavors a greater part of people's everyday lives, two friends are serving up a new take on traditional ingredients. From our Fronteras desk in Hermosillo, Kendall Blust reports.
3: Denise de Burraso
1: and her family walk out of a little ice cream shop inside an old house-turned-market on Hermosillo's Main Street, Bolivar Hidalgo. Their cups and cones are loaded with flavors like queso fresco and coyota, a sugar-filled Sonoran pastry.
3: Well, regional, truth,
1: queso fresco. She says it's delicious and unique, that's typical, that's typical that's Sonoran that's flavors that's repackaged that's in a surprising that's new that's way. That's her favorite? A creamy base swirled with caramel and spiked with a Sonoran agave spirit bacanora. She calls it a taste of Sonora, of tradition. That's the mission behind Nevería del Noroeste, started by longtime friends Luis Franco and Andrés Hernández last year to revive once-common regional flavors. There are so many edible things around us, Franco says. Preparing fresh marmalade for a mint, chocolate, and orange-flavored ice cream, he says the goal is for people to learn something new while eating something delicious. The shop counter is covered with examples of ingredients, like chuales, a leafy green used in one of the rotating seasonal flavors. The wall is covered with names and definitions for traditional foods or food-related items, like the chiviri, a long stick typically used to collect pitaya the deep, rosy-colored fruit that grows atop organ-pipe cactus. Franco and Hernández started experimenting with ice cream flavors a decade ago using traditional ingredients like mesquite flour, calpechita, and chukata, the name for mesquite sap, and the ingredient behind the restaurant's catchphrase, come chukata. A common Sonoran phrase meaning something like take a hike, Franco says it stems from the sap's long history in Sonoran cuisine.
2: Indudablemente siempre creamos una sonrisa cuando
1: Hernandez says it always brings a smile to people's faces when they hear Come Chucata turned on its head, an invitation rather than a brush off. And they want Neveria del Noroeste to be an inviting place. People come in and say, Oh, this reminds me of something my mom would say, or I remember eating this when I was little. Visiting for the first time, Demetrio Sotelo says one ice cream brings back memories of eating tortilla with soft cheese and honey in Sonora's small towns as a child. Sonoran crepes, he says. It's a good memory. The third member of the Nevería del Noroeste team, Karen Soseda, says the flavors have connected her to her roots. She says she didn't know much about the ingredients. Then one day she was telling her mom about her favorite ice cream flavor, pinole de flor con naranja, made with a base of finely ground corn often used to make a thick, warm drink or a atole. Her mom told her pinole had been her grandpa's daily breakfast. But Sauceda says her generation, especially those who grew up in the city, have lost touch with those once-staple regional foods. At least for her, the ice cream shop is re-establishing those connections. Y nos habla de la Dulce Espinosa is a researcher who studies food sustainability. She says projects like this one speak to the richness of the Sonoran Desert, where people have used native plants in their cooking for centuries. But she says it's also complicated. In some cases, efforts to make traditional foods popular can end up appropriating those ingredients, causing negative impacts on the environment and local communities as supply struggles to keep up with growing demand. That's happened with Mescal. An important element of del Noroeste's model, she says, is its close links to producers.
3: Esta no solos.
1: Hernandez says the business can't grow without local producers. Some of the foods they use aren't produced formally, like the mesquite sap, which they buy from people in small towns who usually collect it just for themselves and their neighbors. They've spent years getting to know the communities where those practices are still alive and learning their stories, all of which inform the ice cream flavors. The with the ice cream maker ticking in the background, Franco says it's been gratifying to see how many young people visit the ice cream shop, bringing friends to explain what they learned on previous visits or on the shop's social media. Even their accents change, he says, taking on a more distinctive Sonoran sound when they're talking about Pechita and Pinole. It's exactly what he and Hernandez like to see. More sap eaters and hermosillo. Kendall Blust, KJ's Z News,
0: Emoció. In business news, Arizona and the country are facing higher gas prices again. Jill Ryan has more. Over the
1: past month, Arizona has seen the biggest increase in average gas prices in the country. The average price on Thursday was nearly $3.90 a gallon, about 42 cents above the national average. Phoenix is seeing even higher averages. Patrick DeHaan with GasBuddy says the higher prices are due in part to the normal seasonal transition to the more expensive clean-burning gasoline required under law.
3: In addition, refineries in the West Coast, especially uh, Southern California where Phoenix gets much of its gasoline. doing maintenance, and that limits the amount of supply available. He says
1: these high prices could last through May. According to AAA Arizona, gas prices in the state have been above the national average for the last year. Jill Ryan, KJZZ News, Phoenix.
0: In Tribal Resources, which is supported in part by a grant from the Katina Foundation. New legislation introduced by Southern Arizona Congressman Raul Grijalva seeks to safeguard a stretch of Tonto National Forest land from mining activity. From our Fronteras desk in Tucson, Elisa Resnick reports, the land is called Oak Flat and stretches across roughly 2,400 acres of national forest land. Oak Flat is sacred to the San Carlos Apache tribe and other tribes,
1: but a last-minute piece of legislation passed in 2014 transferred it from federal control into the hands of a proposed mining operation called Resolution Copper. The move triggered a years-long effort by San Carlos Apache members and other grassroots activists to stop the mine, which they say will destroy Oak Flat for good. Grijalva says the Trump administration rushed the Environmental Impact Statement, or EIS, that greenlit the latest phase. The Biden administration rescinded that EIS, but mining plans continue. He says the new legislation will offer permanent protection to the site by blocking foreign-owned mining companies from setting up there.
0: Alisa Resnick, KJZZ News, Tucson. And finally, in science news. For the two most recent years on record, the case counts of Valley Fever hit rates not seen since 2012. Both 2020 and 2021 had around 11,500 confirmed cases. From our Arizona Science Desk, Nicholas Gerbis reports.
3: Data reveal 34 fewer valley fever cases and 109 fewer hospitalizations in 2021 than in the year before, with most beds filled per capita in La Paz County. People aged 75 to 84 had the highest case rates of the flu-like disease, which is caused by breathing spores from a soil fungus. Most reports came in during late winter to early spring. So far this year, there have been nearly 1,500 confirmed and probable cases. The CDC estimates Valley Fever actually occurs 6-14 to 14 times more often than reported, likely due to a lack of testing caused by medical training oversights or insurance concerns. Nicholas Gerbis, KJZZ News, Phoenix.